Thank you. What, what a blessing it is for us uh, to be able to worship God with you this morning. Uh, you know what? We've been worshiping God on a screen for the last uh, six months, basically, uh, because we, we, we have no, no church to go on a Sunday morning. But still, we, that, just the blessing of being able to worship on a screen as being uh, of an immense value to us. And um, you know what? It, it, actually, it's not, about, it's not about having a band here, live, doing a live worship. It's just about your heart as you, as you enter the sanctuary. It, 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 what's going on, honestly, in your heart when you enter this sanctuary and you're like, are you like, well, oh, okay, well, that, that's not the live band this morning. That's just like worship on a screen. Or is it, we are going to worship the Lord. We are going to be together and give praise to God. That changes Everything, and that should be our hearts every time that we gather to worship God. And um, I also want to tell you that our families and um, our core group have been honestly blown away uh, by your generosity as a church. Uh, it's just, it's just, I mean, the fact that you will take your Christmas offering to give to a church plant. Uh, that God willing will take place in Quebec and, and that will be uh, in French. Of course, uh, I mean, as you hear me preach, it will be obvious that that church plant will be in French, okay? The first church plant in French. Uh, we've been blown away by your generosity and from the old Eglise Doxa team, we want to tell you a big, big, big thank you. So thank you, Armas Adwa. That means a lot to us. It's more than just money in the bank. It's just knowing that we have bound together brothers and sisters willing to invest in the kingdom of God. And that's, that, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, before I begin to uh, open God's words with you, uh, if there is anyone here this morning that don't, that don't have a Bible, please just uh, raise your hand, and there is someone that, that will be there to uh, give you a Bible. That's the same version that I will be preaching on, so it will be way easier for you to follow along. So if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand, and someone will be there to give you uh, a copy of the Word. And as you prepare yourself, you can open your Bible in uh, Psalm, Psalm 27, verse 4. Psalm 27, verse 4. If you had a, uh, a hard time finding that book, you can ask someone close to you. Um, Or just open your Bible, I mean, almost in the middle, and you will probably find the book of Psalm. Um, so Psalm, verse 27, verse 4, that says this. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That's, that's David who wrote that. that, that I, one thing that I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire 
in his temple. So let us pray. Let us pray. Lord, we need you so much this morning. Words, humans' words, don't change anything. Um, crafty and beautiful sermon don't change anything. Your presence, taking your words, Lord, and applying that to hearts, this is what changes everything. And you know each heart this morning. You know those that needs to be revived, and you know those that needs to be alive for the first time. So would you just give us the grace of coming in a particular way. We know that you are everywhere, Lord, but sometimes you're just pleased to come in a place and do a mighty work. Would you do that? I'm frail. I'm weak this morning. I'm not even preaching in my own language, Lord. Or Lord, would you come? Because that's not about me. That's not about us. It's about you. And as we open your word, oh, Lord, please let us worship you. We want that to be a time of worship, to be a time where our hearts are just teared and, just, and, and our hearts are warm. But what we see in your word Thank you for this book. Thank you, Lord. And I know that you will do great and mighty thing among us because we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, as I was thinking about, um, thinking and praying about the last message that you will hear in 2017, I just had that growing burden in my heart um, about this particular text. And the title of my message this morning is, is simply this, Living in Light of Eternity. Living in Light of Eternity. And uh, you know what? Some years ago, I realized something, okay? Um, I have heard, and uh, I have heard and I have preached I mean, a ton of message about how to get to heaven, but I realized that I've never preached about what is supposed to happen there. So isn't it strange? Isn't it strange? So I began to, to look at different books of theology, and, uh, and some had large section about hell, but only a couple of pages about heaven. And once again, I was like, oh, that's, that's strange. That, I, I, to me, that doesn't make sense. I mean, if hell is our final destiny, okay, but if heaven is our final destiny, why are we not more interested about that, about what is going on in heaven? I mean, we constantly repeat that our life are just a vapor. We are here today, yes, and gone tomorrow, and yet we seem far more interested about our little life right now uh, than about the hope of glory that the Bible promises. We are living for the dot, but that dot is on a line that goes on forever and ever and ever. And we are like, well, whatever about that line. I'm all about the dot. That makes no sense. So I begin to uh, look to this uh, subject and three books that were extremely helpful to me because honestly, I was, uh, I'm not intelligent enough to come up with everything that I will say this morning. Uh, so three books that were very helpful to me were 
uh, were the book Heaven by Randy, Alco uh, Randy Alcorn, then A Better Country by Dan Schiffer, and The Saint Everlasting Rest by Richard Baxter. Now, honestly, I believe that one of the major mistakes that many Christians are doing um, is to think that talking about heaven is not practical enough. That's why we don't think of, uh, we don't talk about that. I mean, we will see in heaven what is heaven, but let's talk about other stuff. Let's talk about earthly stuff. You know the cliche even, that you can be so heavenly minded that you are of no earthly good. Maybe you, you've heard that before. But is it true? Is it the truth? Because C.S. Lewis was right when he said that in reality, it is quite the opposite. It is quite the opposite because so often we are so hurtly minded that we are of no heavenly good. And if you, if you study church history, okay, it proves that those Christians that were the most useful on this hurt for the cause of Christ were also those who were thinking a lot about heaven. And many people... In the early church, if you read the early church history, it's, 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 it's almost, it's glorious and it's sad in, in, in the same time. They, were, they went through a very difficult time. And uh, the early church were greatly persecuted. So they were assembling sometime in, in a secret place called the catacomb, uh, which were underground site in the city of Rome. And many years later, they found in those catacombs many paintings on the wall representing heaven with Christ sitting on his throne and all people and creature uh, worshiping him. Why? Why will they paint that on their wall? Why? Because the early Christian wanted to, wanted to always keep in mind that dying for Christ is worth it. It is worth it. Their hope was not in this present life, but in the life to come. So listen, in Psalm 27, it was, it was written in a very difficult season uh, in the life of David. And uh, I've looked at many different Bible commentators, and they do not all agree on what were those circumstances. But they all agree that King David was greatly afflicted. So, in the midst of all of this hardship, David wrote verse 4. David only desired one thing. I'm asking for one thing, Lord. What he truly longing after. What he was truly longing after was to be in the presence of God, to contemplate his beauty, and to worship him. Now, when David wrote this psalm, he was certainly thinking about a real place. He was thinking about a real place, a real temple, where he could go to worship God during his lifetime. But, but, David also knew that the temple was only pointing towards something greater, something that he will fully experience only in eternity. And so you need to listen here, okay? Because everything that David is longing after in this verse will be fully realized for him and 
for every believer in Jesus Christ in heaven. And that's awesome. And that's awesome. Now, um, honestly, this morning, um, I won't go into detail about the streets of gold. Okay? I won't go about, uh, into details about a lot of things in heaven and, and all of the, the description of heaven in the Bible. Because we can miss the point. We can miss the point in doing that. Honestly, look here. The center of attraction in heaven is God himself. He is the center of attraction in heaven. So I want, I want to look uh, at what the Bible says about our relationship with God in heaven. Because living in light of eternity will change the way you live your life in the present. Living in light of eternity will change your, the way you live your life in the presence. In the presence. So our first header this morning is uh, living in light of eternity, longing to see God, longing to see God. Look with me in verse 4. Look at me with verse 4. One of the main things that David is asking God for is to what? To gaze. He wants to gaze upon what? The beauty of the Lord. David wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. This, this is not the dry language of someone who is simply doing his religious duty or just coming to church because he wants to please his wife and just don't have a fight over lunch, you know? No, that's the language of love. That's the language of someone amazed by God. Someone who realized that there is nothing more satisfying than to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord himself. Now, the Bible declares something absolutely astonishing in the book of Revelation. And it's found in chapter 22, verse 3 and 4. And you can only look, if you want, uh, on a screen um, behind me. It says this. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And his servant will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their forehead. They will see his face. Listen, this biblical declaration is astonishing. If you understand the transcendence and the holiness of God, because if you read the Bible, and you should, okay, um, you will see that it repeats in many places that we cannot see the face of God and stay alive. We cannot see the face of God and live. And in the Old Testament, in the temple called the Holy of Holies, only once a year, only once a year. And in that place was the Ark of the Covenant, representing the presence of God among his people. And now, the role of, uh, of the priest was to offer a sacrifice to atone for his own sin first, and then for the sins of the people. But the Jewish tradition tells us that they, uh, they, they will usually tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest as he is going in there just in case the presence of God will kill him. I mean, we don't think like that anymore, right? 
I mean, in that case, no one will, go, will just say, well, I think it's not coming back. I'm just going to go grab his body the other side. No, uh, no way, okay? What they will do is to just grab the rope and, and try to, to, pull, to pull the rope in order to, to, to drag the dead body of the high priest out of the holy of holies. So the Bible declares that we will see, so for the Bible to declare that we will see the face of God means that there must be a radical transformation of our nature between now and the day that we will see God face to face. Now, that whole idea of, of, of seeing God's face has always been a challenge for Christians and for theologians. Because, and here is why. John, John 4 verse 24 says that God is spirit. God is spirit. How can we see his face? I mean, I mean when the Bible talks about the arms of the Lord... Or sometimes it says that the eyes of the Lord are upon his people, or that God cover us under his wing. We understand that those are figures of speech, right? This is, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's God coming to our level of understanding. It's God communicating in a way that we can understand him. And it, but, 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 but we understand that it doesn't mean that God literally have physical eyes or, or arms or even wings. So the question remains, what does it mean to see the face of God? And to be totally honest, uh, we, we, can't have, uh, we can't fully understand that, okay? We can't fully understand that. But part of the answer is that we will see God's face mostly through his son and through every good things in heaven. So first, we will see God's face through his son. Now track with me, and you should have uh, um, the text appear uh, on the screen behind me. The son of God always existed. But the son has not always been human. Okay? He always existed, but he, al- but he not always been humans. So when he incarnated himself in the person of Jesus, the son become 100% human while also remaining 100% God. And when he ascended back to his father in heaven, he didn't left his humanity behind. He stayed 100% human and 100% God. And he will be this way for all of eternity. For all of eternity. So, listen, when God decided to reveal himself fully to humanity, he did it through his son. He did it through his son. In John 14, 9, Jesus declares, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And in Colossians, Colossian, uh, verse four, verse uh, no, chapter uh, chapter one, verse fifteen, uh, Paul says that he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus was the ultimate revelation of God to men, and he is still the ultimate revelation of God to men, and he will be for all of eternity. Now. Uh, so when David pour out his heart in verse 27, uh, in chapter 27, verse 4, and he says that he want to gaze. He, want, he, just, he just 
There is that longing. You want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Please know this. This burning desire in the heart of of David is now fulfilled in full. Because he is now looking at the face of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the definition of beauty itself. So, each time we will see Christ in heaven, it is in fact God himself that we will see. But we will also see the beauty of God through every good things in heaven. Now listen, everything in heaven, and I mean everything, is a proclamation of God. Everything is a proclamation of God. So God will reveal himself to us through every good things that we will find there. So for example, while looking at the beautiful landscape and you will stand there astonished, you will know that this landscape is beautiful. Why? Because God is the author of beauty. And, 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 And then meeting with other people who are so loving, you will know And you will comprehend that these people are loving because God is love. In other words, in heaven, everything will be a declaration about the nature of God. Everything will be a reflection of God himself. Now, this longing... This longing expressed by David, wanting to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. This is something that every heart transformed by the Holy Spirit can relate to. And now, and now you have to get this, okay? You absolutely have to get this this morning. The Holy Spirit not only revealed to us that God is real. That's only part of his job. He also revealed to us that he is beautiful and desirable. You need to hear that again. The Holy Spirit not only revealed to us that God is real, he also revealed to us that God is beautiful and desirable. It's not just about having your, 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 your head convinced. It's about having your heart stirred up and your, and, and your affection being stirred up also. So let's be honest here. Is there, is there a longing is there that longing in your heart to see God, to just to, to gaze upon his face? To gaze upon his face. And listen, uh, a, a strong desire to see God will produce radical change in your life. First, first it will help you see clearly that nothing else will satisfy. And we always fall on that trap, honestly. But the thing is that no job, no vacation, no wedding... No, not even kids is going to give you the happiness that you want. Those are all gifts, and we we should be thankful for those gifts. We should thank God for those gifts, but but, but we we are after the giver. We are after the giver. Then, a strong desire to see God will produce um. A, a radical change in your life where you will manage your time differently. If you long to see God's face, it will show in your schedule. 
it will show in your schedule. There will be a new way to shape your schedule in order for you to spend as much time possible with your Lord and not just as a discipline. And sometimes it, dis- it, it, it just begins like that. It begins as a discipline. It begins as, well, this is something that I need to do, not something that I feel like I'm, I want to do right now. But, but still, I will do it because that's a good discipline. But then from discipline, it needs to get to the light. You just don't want to approach God as a discipline, but as the one who gives delight to your heart. And honestly, we always find time for what we truly desire. I know many people are very busy. I know that. But we always find time for what we truly desire. And third, third you, will live your, you will live with hope. You will live with hope. There will come a day when you will see him face to face. There will come a day when you will see him face to face. Your eyes will be looking into his eyes, into the eyes of Jesus. And and you will be flawed with emotion that you won't even have the capacity to sustain right now. I mean, if we will see God right now, we will just explode. It will be just too much for us to handle. We don't have the, the emotional capacity to handle that. But in the presence of God, our emotional capacity to sustain that uh, will be expended a trillion times. It will have to. And listen, those moments of delight won't be moments anymore. But they will be our ongoing reality, going on and on and on. But now let's, let, let's just have a moment of honesty here, okay? Um, because our longing after God is not always as strong as it should be, right? I mean, if we are honest, we can say, yeah, yeah, go at it, yeah! Yeah, strong desire for God, and I'm all about that, okay? I'm all about, hey, we need to have our heart to be a flame in a blaze for God. But it, the reality is, it's, it's, it's not always our experience. And, 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 and I have been a Christian long enough to know that we go through different seasons in our spiritual life. And one season, in one season, it seems like that, that everything is, is so easy. I mean, you wake up. In the middle of the night in your life, hey, why not pray and intercede for the whole list? I mean, and then you open your Bible and you go to the map and you're like, wow, those maps are amazing. And you go to the genealogy and you're like, wow, I was so blessed in my quiet time this morning. And You know, it's like everything is talking to you. It's so easy. And it's, it's just the Holy Spirit doing a mighty work in your life. But, but, but sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes it's not like that because then comes a, a season of spiritual winter where our hearts sometimes just feel, feel numb. And, and, and we continue to pray. We continue to read the Bible. We even probably continue to go to church. But that longing is not there as it should be, as it was in the past. And if it's you this morning, please know that you are not alone in this even if other Christians want to maybe put a mask sometime and, and tells you that everything is okay and that they are blessed and everything is great, well, the thing is, we all struggle. 
We all do. We all struggle. Um, and I am, I am highly suspicious of those who are only experiencing spiritual eye after spiritual eye. Okay? I mean, um, uh, come on. <laughs> come on, let's be, let's be honest. Let's just be honest. We all go through seasons of struggling. But look here, look here, okay? It's very important. Do you know? Do you know what keeps me from doubting that the work of the Spirit in my life, um, that's, um, that, that it's a, a real work, that I'm truly safe, even in those moments where, 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 where the longing seems to be almost gone, well, it's, it's that I want this situation to change. It's the fact that I'm not comfortable in that state. It's the fact that I want to want him. It's the fact that I desire to desire him. So is it you this morning? And if yes, well, I just want to encourage you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep your Bible open. Don't give up. Keep praying. Don't panic. Those seasons are exactly this. Seasons. They are seasons. They come and they lead to more fruitful seasons where the joy of the Lord becomes a reality again in your life because God is not wasteful. God is never wasteful. This is a season, there is a reason behind all of those seasons, and we always have something to learn. So be patient. Be, be patient. Keep your Bible open, keep praying. Ask others to pray with you, for you, and then expect God to work in your heart. Now, second header, second header, living in light of eternity, longing to be with God. Longing to be with God. Okay, obviously, uh, you won't see God face to face unless you are in the presence of the Lord. You won't see God face unless you are in the presence of the Lord. So look with me again at Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing have I asked, have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now in the Old Testament, the temple was the place to go in order to meet with God. But now you need to understand this, okay? Um, even Solomon Solomon, who just built the temple, uh, was, was just praying to God at, the, at the, the dedication of the temple. And he was saying this, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much, more this, uh, how much less this house that I have built? I mean, Lord, you have, you have the whole universe in your hand. How can I put you in the box? Solomon was fully aware of that. So even if the temple was that, was that place of gathering to worship and meet with God, there was already that knowledge that God's presence cannot be contained anywhere. But when David said that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, he was expressing a deep longing to be, to be where God is. 
You want it to be where God is. And there is a staggering text found in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 to 3. And it's on the screen. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new hurt. For the first heaven and the first hurt had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So the Bible tells us about an awesome marriage that will take place one day. And it will be a marriage between God and his people. Yes, of course. But there, are, there is a part that we sometimes forget. Because it will also be a marriage between heaven and earth. Between heaven and earth. The Bible revealed that there will come a time where there will be no separation between the heaven and and the hurt. There will be no separation between what we call now the natural and the supernatural. So now listen, okay? Biblically, biblically, biblically or future hope, that is not really that, that we will ascend to heaven, but that God will descend towards us. That's the hope. So ultimately, it's not, it's not really about ascending to heaven. But instead, it is about heaven coming down towards us. Now, of course, those who die in Christ, they are in heaven right now. But what we forget is that it is not their final destiny. It is not their final destiny. They are still waiting for the resurrection of their body and the renewal of this hurt that the Bible called the new hurt. So look here. Um, we've got a problem because we are not, well, we are not. I would say many people or a lot of people are not really excited about heaven because our view of heaven is simply wrong. I remember a prayer that I did when I was young. Um, my, my mom promised me to bring me to the water slide on the weekend. And, and I can remember the prayer that I did at that time. It was like, it, it looks like that, okay? Jesus, I, I guess it will be great to be with you. Like right now and all that and in the heaven and uh, floating around and, you know, being on a cloud. Uh, but, 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 but could you just wait till Monday till you come back? I know you're supposed to come back soon, but because those water slide, this seems very exciting, you know? Why? Because my view of heaven was boring. And the problem is, as adults, we don't grow. It seems that we don't, we grow, we grow up, but, but, but we keep that same attitude towards heaven so many times. But heaven is not about floating around on a cloud all dressed in white and playing harp for eternity. Okay? This is not heaven. This is not heaven. And honestly, that thought scares me. That thought scares me. I have, I have no desire for a heaven like that. And you know what? 
That's perfectly normal. Because this is not the heaven that the Bible talks about. We won't be floating around on a cloud. We will be in a tangible place. Do you realize that? It won't be less substantial than hurt. But more. It is heaven. It is the place where God dwells. Now this has been the hope of the Christian church for centuries. But we will be in a tangible place with a resurrected body. And we, we, and, and, and we need to rediscover this great hope in our day. Because the mission of God is about renewal. This is what he is after. God is after renewal. And that includes everything that sin has contaminated. So God will renew, transform, or judge everything that sin. As con- uh, everything that, that's been contaminated by, his, by sin. So listen to this truth again. God will live with us. That God, the God that you're reading about in this book, will come and dwell with us. That's awesome. Now King David, one of the richest men of his time, for him it was clear that nothing, no money, no women, no gold, no pleasure could ever come close to to this, to be with God. To be with God. And I wonder this morning if we have the same heart. If we have the same heart. I mean, money, yes. Vacation, yes, of course. New diploma, vacation, yes, thank you, God. But, but what we want is you. What we want is you. And listen, I have no product to sell this morning. I have no sales pitch to do. My desire is simply that God will displace all of those little joy in our heart and become our passionate pursuit. Now, what the Bible calls the new heaven and the new hurt, it's a little bit like, a return to the Garden of Eden. It's a little bit like a return to the Garden of Eden, but even better. I mean, no snake hanging around this time, okay? No snake, around, no snake hanging around. But we've got that false view sometimes of the future and that false view of, of the whole plan of God. And sometimes we kind of imagine God. Well, at least, maybe it's not you. Maybe it's, not, it's just me. But uh, for a long time, I was imagining, imagining God uh, being like that. Well, um, I don't know, but I think that that whole hurt thing and you, humanity things and all that, I mean, that, that was not a good idea. I mean, look at that. Look at that mess that they done. I mean, I think that this is, this is what I will do. Okay, that, that was clearly not a good idea. So let's try to save some here and there. Let's get them into heaven somewhere. Uh, we will prepare their place. And then just, I mean, just destroy it. Let's put fire and all that. That's, that's basically my view of what uh, God was thinking about hurt. But you know what? Um, that's not the view of the Bible. <laughs> because... That's not the story of the whole Bible at all. The whole story of the Bible from the book of Genesis to the last book called Revelation is about the mission of God who will renew all things. God will get his garden back. And from the book of Genesis, uh, it begins with the garden. And at the end of the book of Revelation, it finished. 
with a garden. So what is the practical implication of this truth? Of this truth? How are we supposed to be affected by it? And one answer is found in the word hope. Hope. I mean, watch the news on TV. Watch the news on TV. Read the blogs on the internet. Talk to your co-worker. To your co-worker. And, and then tell me that your hope is rising in your heart. Well, probably not. Probably not. Um, but the Bible calls us to ground our hope in something far more solid than our present circumstances. Because my future is not in the end of Donald Trump or King John Ong. I mean, the world leaders, they can go at it. They can go at it. But at the end of the day, my hope is grounded in King Jesus. My future is secure because whatever life may bring, King Jesus is coming back to take possession of what belongs to him, which means all, everything, all things, and to clean up our mess. And this hope also produces generosity. When you get that, I mean, it, it should produce a people living with their hands open. Why? Well, because, we, because everything we have here today will be gone tomorrow. Everything. Everything. And we also realize that we will live forever in a place where money and possession won't mean anything, but the presence of God will be the center of attraction. So church... It's about time that we lift up our eyes and start to think again about eternity, thinking hard and thinking often about heaven and eternity will change a lot of our, prior, of our priorities in our life. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. King David longs to be in God's house. Why? Because he wanted to be with God. David can care less about a beautiful temple if the owner of the house is gone. Now listen, um, being in heaven without God will be like going to your honeymoon without your spouse. It just makes no sense. It makes no sense. In other words, it's the presence of God that makes heaven heaven. And uh, 400 years ago, there is a man, it's an old Puritan called Samuel Rutherford. They had a way to write things, those guys. But he wrote one of the best quotes, I think, uh, on this matter. He wrote this. It should be on your screen. Oh, my Lord Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without thee, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have thee still, it will be a heaven to me. For thou art the heaven I want. And I say amen to that. And that's the whole point that I'm trying to get across this morning. We want God. And that's the presence of God that makes heaven heaven. Now, our third and last editor, living in light of eternity, longing to worship God. So in our text this morning, David is asking God to grant him one thing. King David wants to be in a place where he can worship God. And in the Old Testament, a true worshiper will often go to the temple. 
Now for us in Jesus Christ, we can worship God everywhere, but let's be honest. Our, our experience of worship right now is it, it's still only partial at best. It's only partial. Let's read from Revelation 5, 11 to 14 on the screen. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creature and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriad and myriad, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sit on a throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four creatures said, Amen. And the elder fell down and they worshiped. They worship. I mean, you just finish that, that kind of text and you just want to fall down and worship yourself. I mean, but let's, let's be honest here. Our experience of worship is rarely that intense, right? And, and, and there can be many reasons for this. Well, um, the first one, uh, the most obvious is that we are not in heaven yet. Okay, I give you this one. Uh, we are not in heaven yet. That's true. But a second reason can be, it can be that we have lost that sense of the presence of the Lord among us. Maybe we have lost that sense of the fear of the Lord, that sense of awe that shall fill our heart as we gather to worship. And just that the whole realization that it's not even about us. This is not our service this morning. This is God's service. That's about putting a smile on his face. That's about, that's about pleasing God's heart. And we need to get back at it and to say, Lord, am I still amazed by you? And the third reason is simply this, that in a lot of evangelical churches, people have a low view of God. And they simply don't know who he is. And you cannot, you cannot worship and love someone that you don't know. You cannot. You just cannot. So listen, when you better understand who God is and what is true worship, then you understand why worship was David's ultimate goal. And it also become yours. So the first thing we must understand now is simply this. What is worship? What is worship? Because whole books have been written to explain this subject, and I'm not going to improve on, on those. But let, let me give you a simple but I know incomplete definition of what worship is. I said that worship, worship is the natural response of our hearts towards the object or the person that gives us the greatest joy and satisfaction. Worship is the natural response to, of our hearts towards the object or the person that gave us the greatest joy and satisfaction. So, like I said a minute ago, you cannot worship what you don't know. 
You cannot worship and love what you don't know. And that's so basic. So I'm giving you homework now. Yep. It's back to school uh, coming in uh, maybe one week, but uh, you already have homework, okay? But that's good homework. That's homework for your soul, right? Read the knowledge of the holy by A.W. Tozer. Maybe you read that uh, many years ago. Read that again, okay? Read that book again. That it's a book that describes the attributes of God in a way that leads your heart to be amazed by God. And it can change the way you worship God forever. And for those who want more, well, let's read, uh, read The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, which is also an awesome book. Now, notice, there won't be any bad surprise in heaven. Okay. There won't be any bad surprise in heaven. No one will get to heaven and say, oh, okay, so, so that's it? I mean, that, 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 that's all there is? That, that's all there is to God? That's all there is to heaven? No one will do that. And there is no, there is no constraint worship in heaven. The angels do not adore God because God is twisting their wings until they comply, okay? They are adoring God without ceasing because God continually satisfies them with a joy that they cannot contain. That's why they worship God. But now, what will be the fuel of our adoration of God in heaven? First, it will be all the perfection of God. And as an infinite being, because God is infinite, our amazement towards him will only grow more and more and more for all eternity. We will never come to a point where we'll say, well, I think that's it. I, I, I know him. I, uh, I'm ready for another deity now. No. God is infinite, and our joy in him will, uh, will only grow and grow and grow as we get to know him. But also, the Bible makes, makes, makes it clear that at the core of our adoration in heaven, it will be the lamb that was slain. The lamb that was slain. We will worship God forever because of the gospel. King Jesus dying for sins, for the sins of all of those who are willing to put their trust in him. What a gift. What a savior. But is he your savior this morning? Is he? Really? Have you embraced or rejected his sacrifice for you on that bloody cross? Because there is forgiveness and peace with God for all of those who put their faith in Jesus. But there is no other way. There is no other way. You won't find any other way of entering heaven. It's Jesus or it's nothing. Now, um, I don't know if that caused your problem. But I know that when I was in... Um, trying to, to reach college students. Sometimes it was a problem for them. Um, I don't know what you think about the fact that God demand and even command our worship. Like, you will worship me. I don't know what you think about that. But the more you know God and the more you realize that worship is not only our expression of love towards God, but also an expression of the amazing love of God towards us. 
That's what happened. Just think with me, okay? Think with me a second. That's not very complicated. By definition, love or, or to love someone is to desire the best for that person. This is at the core. To love someone is to desire the best for that person. And there is nothing better than God in the whole universe. So, if God loves us and really desires the best for us, he must give himself to us. Because he can't give us anything better than himself. Now, please, you need to understand this. God does not need a worship in order to like to feel a, a kind of need or an emptiness in himself. There is no lack in God. There is no lack in God. He is complete, he is fully satisfied, and he has no insecurity in himself. God lacks nothing. God lacks nothing, but we do. And it's only in worshiping the true God that this lack can be filled. So worship actually is a gift. Worship, when God commands worship, he commands our best. That's actually a gift. It is about God giving himself to us. And it's about our heart finding true joy and a deep satisfaction that we receive him, as we receive him and adore him. So now, in conclusion, as I'm moving towards the end of this message, I want you to look again at the beginning of our text this morning. Because David wrote, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. And there is so much power in that one thing. So much power. Among all of the other things that David could have desired and asked, he decided to ask of one thing. He wanted to be with God in order to gaze upon his beauty and worship him. David was a man of many responsibilities. He was a king. He had many responsibilities on his shoulder, but yet his heart was set on that one thing. And living in light of eternity means living for that one thing also. And you know what? Uh, love it or not, the clock of your life is ticking, each one of us. The clock of your life is ticking. And what if 2018 was your last year? What if it was? Um, question, how would you live your life if you knew that you only got one year left before you die? Imagine that that's an LT year, but you only have one year left before you, before you die. How would you live your life? What will change? Because the answer to that question will make you uncomfortable for sure. But it will tell you how you should start living your life right now. What should change in your ministry? What should change in your family? What reconciliation needs to take place? To whom do you, talk, do you need to talk about God and the gospel? And what about your life of devotion with God? Or maybe it's time for you to trust in Jesus Christ for the first time this morning. But what will change if we will become a people of one thing is that we will live in light of eternity and we will begin to live for what truly matters. And there is a man called C.D. Stodd who said maybe a hundred years ago, 
Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come before you this morning and we, we, can't, we can't hide nothing. You know each one of our hearts and you know that so many things are fighting for attention. And, but yet, only one thing truly matters. It's to be forever in your presence and to worship you and to gaze upon your beauty. So please do mighty work by your spirit this morning. Revive the heart that is numb this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. And give life to the heart that is dead. Please make us people of one thing. A whole church living in light of eternity. And it's in the precious name of your son Jesus Christ that I have prayed. Amen. Amen.